It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. LMFM Podcasts with CNC Carpets. We bring the showroom to you. Or you can book a personal consultation at our fabulous new showroom in Moortown, Dramiskin. Call 87 237 or visit our website at cnccarpets.com to book an appointment. CNC Carpets for all your carpet and wood flooring needs. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Good morning. It's Monday 19th of September on The Michael Reed Show. This morning as profits soar at the ESB. The government is coming under further pressure to use the money to alleviate financial pressures on businesses and families as the cost of energy soars. Hundreds took to the streets of Kells on Friday as protesters voiced their anger at the potential closure of the emergency department of Navan Hospital. Is Bertie Ahern soon to be embraced by Micheál Martin as calls gain momentum for his readmission to the party ahead of the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement next year? And Spark, the single parents acting for the rights of kids, launches its pre-budget submission. With Alan Cantwell, through until 11 o'clock this morning. First off this morning... Taoiseach Micheál Martin has said the Irish government can look forward to a much higher dividend from ESB as its after-tax profits have tripled in the first half of the year. The ESB group after-tax profit tripled to €390 million. The €390 million profit after-tax and exceptional items for January to June is more than three times higher than the same figure of €128 million last year. Well, joining us this morning is Thomas Byrne, Minister for European Affairs and Fianna Fáil TD for Meath East, and Darren O'Rourke, Sinn Féin spokesperson on Climate Action and TD for Meath East. Uh, Minister, I want to get to you first and draw your attention to that piece, and I know you had a look at it, by Charlie Weston on the front of the Irish Independent. €300 Euro extra on your energy bill before you flick a switch. What Charlie is talking about here is the standing charges that every ESB customer has to pay, and it seems that during the excessive increases in energy costs they have been putting up that standing charge. That is 
a disgrace. It can't be described as anything else. Well, I think it's just indicative of the rising energy prices that we've all seen uh, over the last year or so. Uh, that's the reality that I think everybody has faced and a reality that the government has tried to address, uh, whether it's through the fuel allowance, whether it's through the household benefits package, whether it's through the energy credit and whether it's through measures coming up in the budget this year. The, energy, the electricity market is not regulated in terms of prices because competition has been brought into the market. Yeah. Now, clearly at the moment, that market is not functioning in the proper way. And that's why now the government, together with all the other governments in the European Union, is taking really, really serious, drastic action uh, to take profits off all of the energy companies effectively and to give it back to the people. Yeah, we get that. But I mean, this is sharp practice. And I know the the, the, the market is not regulated and there should be a regulator where well, there's calls for a regulator to, to monitor. But this should not be allowed to happen. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I have another uh, issue as well with that myself. The the night meter, for example, attracts a higher standing charge, actually always has. And I yes, it probably costs more to put an, an, a night meter in, but um, that cost goes after a while. And that's an extra disincentive, I suppose, to people trying to save energy. And that's something I would like to see addressed as well. Um, I think the best way in terms of the immediate prospect is for measures in, the gov- uh, in, in terms of what the government is doing in the budget. And that's to take money off the energy companies, whether it's the energy companies making huge money or whether it's the people taking the product out of the ground uh, that's going to be going back to the people and that's what the government has in store as well as that in terms of uh, there would be fuel allowance for people need that household benefits but also as well uh, the PSO levy uh, which is a small part of your bill is effectively going out to zero actually from next month and may go into a negative figure after that actually it could be a discount on your bill but it's starting at zero Uh, so that again is another that's a small aspect of all of this Okay let me bring in Darren O'Rourke there Darren thanks for joining us this morning I want to ask you about about that particular story of the standing charge. It's something presumably you'll be putting the boot into energy suppliers on, will you not? Is Darren there? Uh, Darren, hello? sorry, we missed you there. Did you get that question I put to you? Yeah, I, ha- I have you there, Alan. Yeah, thanks. Um, can you hear me okay? Yeah, so what's your view on that, on that uh, standing charge being increased? Albeit it seems to be done under the radar and it's only that Charlie yeah. Weston uh, wrote that piece in the Indo. It may have gone unnoticed for another period. Yeah, no, it, it didn't go unnoticed to me and it's, it's an issue that we have raised. Um, I, I have, have, have said publicly before that the government need to do everything they can on electricity bills and they need to look at every line on the electricity bill and that includes the standing charge. So what's the standing charge? It's there to provide the, 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 the electricity companies with the, um, the money to literally uh, support the network, to, 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 to let the, the energy go down the lines. Um, it's, there's no reason why it should increase. There, there, has, been, there has been no additional uh, uh, investment in grid. There's no, uh, it, it, there's, there's no logical reason why it should be increasing the way it has been increasing. And in fact... A couple of the recent increases haven't come with increases in, in standing charges. So there's been a different approach by different providers. Other countries, the regulator in other countries has introduced a cap on standing charges, a, a ban on increases. And that's something that should, uh, should happen here. So presumably here. you're saying the market should be regulated? Well, well the, we have a regulator and, and uh, um, we have the CER and the CRU. Um, the, the, the challenge here, I think, and... Like I do welcome the fact that, that the minister is saying there that uh, they, at the European Union they're pursuing a, a windfall tax. And there's two elements to windfall tax. One is the likes of carb gas. Um, you know, it was the Fianna Fáil government that, that agreed that contract. You know, they essentially gifted our, our natural resources um, 
there's huge profits been reported by Vermilion, the company that now own it, 267% year on year last year versus the year before, and a further 28% increase this year. The, the beneficiaries of, of that profit are probably Canadian wealth funds or Canadian pension okay, funds. Uh, sorry, sorry, Darren, I just want to go back to the point about the regulator. Yes, we have a regulator, but that regulator doesn't necessarily oversee the standing charge. So that should be brought into regulation, surely. The regulator does. The regulator can. The regulator has has proposed a number of measures um, that they would like to see introduced, but they haven't gone as far as saying there should be a, a cap on the standing charge. It yeah. said nothing in relation to the standing charge, and that's why I would say our regulator. If you compare it, for example, with the regulator next door in Britain, Ofgem. Ofgem have come in and said uh, um, there, there should be everybody should be on the, 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 the lowest possible rate. We still have that situation where the best advice government can give you is to switch, to switch, to switch. Um, in, in this crisis period, everybody, in my opinion, should be on the lowest possible lowest possible tariff. We 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 recognise that energy companies have to make a profit, a reasonable profit, and they, and we need them to reinvest in in, in renewable technology, but. These are super profits that they're yeah. making on the back of a system, and I agree with, with Thomas Bourne, a system that is broken. But our government have been very slow to intervene in that system, and I, I, I include Minister Eamon Ryan in relation to that. Okay, Darren, can I just ask you in relation to the cap, <coughs> excuse me, which is something that um, Sinn Féin have been pushing for, and it seems that whilst the government hasn't ruled it out, Leo Varadkar was more or less saying that, well, he's looking at it, but how can you put a cap on it? Do you accept that it's going to be very difficult to do and the best way out of this is to give some sort of aid, whether it be three tranches of €200 Euro or whatever it is, as opposed to a cap? Because it's very difficult to try and put a figure on what a cap would cost the government. Well, there's a couple of things I'd say in, in relation to that. I, I prefer the cap because it's, and, and so does Sinn Féin, because it provides certainty for, for, for consumers, for customers who for ordinary people who are to the pin of their collar and don't know what the future holds. So it shifts the burden from uh, uh, the old pensioner... Yeah, but you're going into the unknown on this in terms well, of the financial implications. Every, everybody's going into the unknown in relation to it. But, but what can we do in relation to that, that question? We can look at the expert analysis, and the expert analysis is telling us that uh, the markets have built in uh, a presumption that at this stage we're not getting gas from Russia. So, so there is an expectation that you know the, the, the worst hopefully is over in terms of, of, of the increases. We haven't yet paid for the for the high cost of gas over the, the the last number of weeks, but we have an indication of what the market might look like for the period that we're talking about a cap. So it's not not a, 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 a blank check or anything like that. Um, I, I think the the other point I would make is that you know whether it's two hundred euro on a number of of, of occasions, um, that is the same runs the same risk, but. For me, the really important thing is who's 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 taking the risk. Is it the state taking the risk? If we introduce an electric, uh, electricity price cap, yes, it's the state that has the responsibility then to negotiate with energy companies, or is it ordinary pensioners or people who are who are struggling to pay their bills and uh, and giving them two hundred euros every so often and saying you're on okay. your own. So well, let, let me bring to. in let me bring in Thomas Byrne there, Minister. You listen to what uh, Darren O'Rourke had to say there. I mean. Things have shifted quite a bit in the past month or so 
Is the cap a runner? Should it happen? Are you satisfied and is the government satisfied to go ahead with with whatever, how many tranches of, of intervention financially for families? We would rule out nothing to help families. But I will say, make these points. I'm surprised that Darren is praising the British regulator because the British regulator recently proposed a cap of €4,000 per annum. The British government had to come in and actually intervene at that point. So forget about the British regulator, Darren. It's a bad example to follow. The other thing about a cap is I discovered this watching the week in politics. It doesn't seem to apply to gas, oil, turf, um, LPG, whatever you're getting. It doesn't apply to them. So it's, it's absolutely useless to people. What we're going to do, and we're doing this together with the European governments, is not pay the energy companies money, which is what Sinn Féin want to do. We're going to take uh, the money off the energy companies and give it to the people. And I think that's a, ver- a far preferable stance. The other thing about a cap is, I'm talking about June 21, if I had a rate of 15 cent a unit in June 21, and my neighbour has a rate of 30 cent in June 21, what do we pay? Sinn Féin don't know the answers to these questions and they, they certainly haven't given any answers to those questions so far. So, if I can come in in relation to that. So, so it's very rich of Thomas Bourne to come on LMFM this morning and say that that this government is going to be hard on energy companies. They have been absolutely pathetic in, in terms of pursuing energy companies. As recently as five weeks ago, the, the Minister for Finance said we shouldn't introduce a windfall tax because that would undermine investment. Now, other countries have saved their consumers literally billions of euros because they took the brave decision and intervened in the market. They decoupled the price of gas from non-gas. They pursued windfall taxes. Our government has not done that. And they've been, I said it, We vote. our government voted against proposals for reform of the market in October 21. Um, Sinn Féin has been very clear it's not just a cap on electricity prices we also want to see and we would in government uh, introduce windfall taxes we would realise the benefit of renewables on, on, on our, our system and we would also have cash payments to, to people to support them with other, other energy bills OK well Darren if, the, if, the if, Minister if, here is nodding his head and I want to let him in to just uh, address some of the points that you made well, look, I mean, I think the this decoupling, I mean, still exists uh, throughout the European electricity market. This coupling, sorry, still exists throughout the European electricity Spain market. Or Portugal. There's, there's, there's a huge amount, but France has brought in a cap on energy prices because they own all the nuclear plants. But if I suggested we build a nuclear plant, Darren, you'd be out protesting against it. Uh, the carb gas. Lots of people protested against taking the carb gas out of the, the ground. Thank God we have that at the moment. Lots of people. So we've got a premium for it, thanks to your government. We're, we're, we're going to be taking the money off whoever owns that, whoever's getting the money from that. We are taking the money off that and also we'll be able to backdate that as well uh, under the European proposals uh, as they stand but we're not going to give a blank check to electricity companies who today we see today in the paper those same companies that are ripping us off on standing charges Sinn Féin is saying here's a blank check we're not going to do that we're going to take the money off them I'll let you in let let the minister finish we're going to take the money off them and give it to the people and also there's lots of other things that need to be done as well which is at a European level to negotiate with gas suppliers so Norway is now the biggest supplier of gas to the European Union. It's also one of our suppliers here as well. There are negotiations there with Norway. Let's see where that goes. But that sort of work needs to be done, and that's really difficult work. Uh, The whole issue of decoupling electricity prices from the natural gas price, it's something we'd all love to do, but it's really, really complex. And the more... the more you look at the energy market, the more you realise how complex it is. And the easy answers that Sinn Féin proposed, well, they're not answers because they're really slogans. You've published no detailed proposals on what you're talking about this cap. You simply said, here's a cheque to the electricity companies, but not the gas companies, not well, the oil I'll companies. OK, let me, t- Darren, come in there. Yeah. 
just absolutely pathetic from, from Thomas Warren, I have to say. We'd love to do it, he said, in relation to decoupling. Well, I'll tell you how you could do it, Thomas. You could do what Portugal and Spain did in April of this year to save their consumers 1.4 billion euros on, on, on their electricity bills. They've done it. They've got an exemption. They got an exemption based on two criteria. They have a dependence on gas and they have low interconnectivity. Now, who has a system like that as well? Ireland has a system like that as well. Ireland could have got the, that Iberian exemption had we looked for it. Did we look for it? No. And in fact, we voted against proposals for reforms. So it's, 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 it's disgraceful, Thomas, to come on the radio to, here this morning to say that we would love to do these things, but we can't because they're complex. There's a menu of options there that this government has failed to take. Not only have they failed to take it, they've opposed those proposals at a European level. Now, it's, it's clear we need to do as much as possible to protect consumers. It will include a suite of measures, but this government has come, come up short Okay. Time and again, and they need to intervene. Gentlemen, I'm, this, I'm sorry. Say, this yeah, government has briefly. given more support financially per head to citizens than almost any other country in Europe, and that would be that the same in the budget coming up. And we're not giving it to the energy companies like to, Sinn Féin are proposing. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I have, to, I have to intervene there. I have to intervene. And I, I, I can share this information with you an uh, LMFM because it was published in the Financial Times last week. Ireland has given the second lowest That's amount of money to so, so I, I'll share that with LMFM. I'd appreciate if LMFM could, could, could confirm that, that they've received it. We will confirm that for you. But, but just give me that what you said, that statistic again, Darren. So, so, so what we have from the Financial Times by Bruegel Research, they have looked at European government's investment uh, per percentage GDP per head of population in support for, for, for consumers. And Ireland comes out second the, last. The figure, the figure of, you need to give is the amount of cash per head that we've given uh, to citizens. The head, percentage of GDP of, is an irrelevant figure, Darren, and you know that well because, yeah. of, because of our GDP. No, 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 no. Because we've one of the highest GDPs in Europe because the economy is doing really, really well and that's why we've €6 billion coming into the budget because we did everything you told us not to do to get people working to make sure this economy was working that we have money to give to people I'm going to move on from here because time's against me and I want to cover other issues. Um, I want to put this to you first off, Minister. I don't know if you had an opportunity to listen to the Tánis Salih of Aradkar yesterday, but he was outlining what, broadly, what we could anticipate or expect in the budget. One thing that struck me, particularly in light of the pressure that small businesses are under, he said, small businesses, there would be broad measures which have not been firmed up yet. That's extraordinary to say that nothing has been firmed up yet for small businesses. We're only a handful of days out from the budget. No, I wouldn't say so. I mean, I think what you want to do is make sure things are workable and precise. We showed within two days of COVID measures being announced in 2020 that the Irish government system could get direct payments uh, into businesses and into people. That was extraordinary. It wasn't possible uh, in many other countries. So we're still trying to fine tune things. When you want to give support to businesses, well, you have to get state aid approval from the European Union. So that's all been happening now over the last few weeks. We will get support to business. Business are really struggling uh, and we are listening to that. Um, There's been no proposal for example from Sinn Féin on business we want to protect jobs protect business that's really really important one that's thing, what we've done for two years One thing ministers that to a man and a woman every business does not want is a government backed low interest loan and that's top of the agenda for the government 
well, let's just see what is proposed. In some cases, that would suit businesses, but there will be some COVID-style supports as well in the budget. There's no doubt about that. OK, you just jump in there, Darren, if you want to um, uh, just give your opinion on the small business uh, aspect yeah. of the budget. Yeah, I think it needs to be a, a range of interventions. As I agree, um, whether it, you know, loans aren't always the solution. I know, I know that seems to be top of, of the government's again agenda. I know that's what they sought a state aid exemption for. Um, I think there needs to be direct cash payments as well and support funding supports for businesses. And and it does need to be, you know, based on particularly the energy need, but the, but the impact uh, the, the increase in bills are okay. having on, on individual businesses. Okay, time's again, so Starren, I just want to ask you perhaps to comment on events which are unfolding here this morning, and that's in relation to Queen Elizabeth II's um, burial. And I just want to ask you, you know, do you have any view on it and what role she played or how she helped to, to build bridges between both communities? Yeah, I think um, I, 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 I think Queen Elizabeth has played a very important, uh, uh, practical and symbolic role in peace and reconciliation, and has been uh, involved in, in a number of very sim- symbolic events and, and taken steps uh, to, to reach out the hand of of friendship um, and did play an important role and obviously has a huge importance to people in Ireland who uh, are British um, and have allegiance to her and and, and to the Crown. And, you know, it is a a sad day for them and I know... uh, uh, the, the country is well represented at the, the funeral. Okay, we leave it there. Gentlemen, Thomas Byrne, Minister for European Affairs, and Darren O'Rourke, Sinn Féin, spokesperson on Climate Action. Thank you both for joining us. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Welcome back to the programme. A protest took place in Kells on Friday afternoon against the planned downgrading of NAV and A&E, with people marching to the HSE offices in the town. Mark O'Driscoll was there for LMFM, and he joins us now in studio. Mark, morning to you. Thanks for joining us. What was the mood like there on Friday, Mark, at the protest? Good morning, Alan. Well, people began gathering at the primary care centre in Kells from around 12.30pm on Friday. It was a lovely afternoon, I have to say, for a protest. The sun was shining as it was for much of the af- for the weekend, I should say. The number that turned up has been disputed a small bit. I reckon there was definitely five, 600 people there. Some reports saying a 1,000 people. I suppose these things are always disputed. It was hard to judge. The, the protest definitely gathered numbers as it made its way through Kells on Friday afternoon. And it was two funeral hearses that actually led the protest from the primary care centre on the Navin Road through the town to the HSE's offices on Bective. I spoke to one of the funeral directors before things got underway and he did say he was weary about using his hearse I suppose for such an occasion given what it's usually used for but he said at the end of the day the future of Navin A&D is an important issue and one he believes that is life and death. Now I, I'd just like to say that uh, we had Minister Thomas Byrne in here just prior to you coming on air here Mark and we did have a discussion with them off air in relation to the A&E department at Navin Hospital. Now whilst we didn't get to it on air I did ask him the question do we know anything now that's new, that we didn't know two or three weeks ago, and he more or less said to me, you know, the situation as it stands, as is, nothing has changed, there's nothing back from the Minister for Health on it, so it's a question of wait and see. But, I mean, going back to that protest you were at, you know, what do the people who turned out have to say? What, what was the, the mood like there? 
Well, as you mentioned there, things haven't changed, Alan, and people are angry. They feel like they're not being listened to by the government or the HSE. Many highlighted that it won't be Health Minister Stephen Donnelly who has to face long wait times in Drogheda if Navin A&T should close. A number of people also saying that they owe their lives to the A&T at Navin, including James Galligan from Kilmainham Wood, who I first spoke to before the protest left the primary care centre in Kells on Friday. I had a clot of blood in the brain after an accident and I was in an emergency store in Avon Hospital and I was in a coma for a fortnight, given no hope to live and here I am today. Sometime later, I was unfortunate enough to have another accident, car accident this time. I broke my femur in three places, broke my left leg, dislocated, everything. All that repair done, Navin Hospital had to go anywhere else. So why should I, anywhere else? And the one thing I will say, all these people that are making the decisions to move whatever, uh, out of Navin Hospital. I guarantee none of them will be going to accidents and emergency now. They'll have all their own private health care that they're straight away with. So, I mean, uh, that's what I said. I wouldn't be here today only for Navin accident and emergency. Well, my husband had a stroke seven years ago and he gave three months in Navin Hospital. Um, and it was, it, it's just unthinkable to think that we wouldn't even have a hospital, um, an A&E hos- um, hospital in Navan now going forward. Um, it's actually frightening to think that we wouldn't have that facility locally for us. And we'd have to travel to either Blanchardstown or to Drogheda, where we'd be queuing for ages. So it's, I, I'm just, I just dread the thought of not having an A&E locally here in Navan. And if the HSE and the Health Minister were listening, what would you say to them at the moment? I would ask them to definitely put the money into upgrading it and making it a safe and uh, place for people to, to be able to go. It's next to impossible to get appointments with doctors. And if you're waiting on a GP to refer you, what's going to happen at weekends when you can't get to your GP? So I would ask them definitely to... We have a huge population around Navan and we need to get um, to keep our hospital open. It's very important that we have the a department open in Abbott. Five years ago I was dead. Um, I got a perforated bowel and nobody knew what it was until one doctor in A&E saved my life along with the staff. The staff were absolutely brilliant and they sent me on to Connolly Hospital to have, you know, to have the operation but if it wasn't for A&E I was dead. It would be the hearse it would be called. You know? And the government have got to waken up and listen to the people. Mead is not getting any smaller. The population is not getting any smaller. It's getting bigger all the time. Why fill in the census form if this information that you're giving them is not going to be used for the betterment to to improve the lifestyle of the people of County Mead. Do you know what I mean? Mead needs its own A&E in Navan. Uh, obviously the people there had very strong views and we listened to them uh, in the course of that particular report, Mark. Uh, but what about the organisers? What were they saying? Well, Alan, just before we set out from for the HSE's offices on Friday, I caught up with chairperson of the Save Navin Hospital campaign and local TD, Padder Tobin, and I started by asking him if this, the third protest over the same issue in less than a year, would make a difference. The HSE are very critical in this because it, there seems to be a battle, an internal battle going on between the Department of Government and the HSE, and the HSE seems to be ignoring the government uh, in relation to this. The key outcome, the key objective that we have is that this review that is underway at the moment will be broadened. One, to include a 
a feasibility study for a future for Navin A&E, a cost-benefit analysis of what's needed to make A&E functional and safe into the future. Uh, that, at the very basis, has to be included in the review. Otherwise, the review is just investigating with a predetermined outcome. And what kind of research determines before the research is carried out what the result is going to be. The second thing is we want, we want community involvement in relation to that. There has to be community involvement. And um, right now, the people who are part of that review are just reviewing the decision that they themselves made a number of months ago. That's our bottom line. The government must deliver on that. Are you expecting today will will change the, the current oh, makeup of the review? I, I have no doubt that you know when it comes to uh, when it comes to decisions such as this, that the government listened to people on the street. And, and this is really really key. And people forget this. We overturned the attack on the pension ten years ago through people power. We overturned the water charges through people power. Even just during the summer, the AIB were going to get rid of cash branches. People power stopped that. People have the power. If they only realise that, we wouldn't be as in much trouble as we are in this country. And now it's time to exercise it. Uh, of course, then the protests reach the HSE offices in the town in Kells. Who addressed the crowd there, uh, Mark? We heard from a number of different people on Bective Street, Alan. We obviously heard from Padder Tobin there, but also SIP2 official John Regan, Sinn Féin TD Darren O'Rourke, Fianna Fáil Senator Shane Castles and Independent Councillor Gillian Toole. I suppose some of the key points from the speeches included SIP2's John Regan highlighted the fact that Ireland's largest mine, Tara Mines, operates in Navin and he emphasised the necessity of having an A&D in the town. While Padder Tobin told the crowd that rallies such as this one are scaring the Health Minister Stephen Donnelly and the one thing that any minister fears is feet on the street. The A2 leader also said that he fears that Stephen Donnelly is now kicking the can down the road until the next person takes over at the Department of Health in a few months' time when there's a change of Taoiseach. Now you mentioned Stephen Donnelly there, Minister for Health, but was there any side of government TDs uh, uh, for me at that protest on Friday? No, Alan, there wasn't. Minister for European Affairs, Thomas Byrne, Justice Minister Helen McEntee and Junior Business Minister Damien English did not attend the event. The only Oireachtas member from the government present that I could see was Shane Castles and I spoke to the local Fianna Fáil senator after the march got underway on Friday. I'm very proud uh, to march with the people of Kells, the people of Navin, the people of Mead, supporting a hospital that I was reared across the road from and I will always support. Uh, And the message that we're delivering to the HSE today is very clear. If you come up with a fairy tale report to try and close uh, Navin A&E, well, the people of this county will be calling you out. Um, The people of this county can see with their own eyes the chaos that exists in Drogheda A&E. And for people to be told and treated like fools to be told that this is a safer and a better system for you to go to is an abomination. And that's the message we're bringing clearly to the HSE at their head offices here today. And where does that leave things now, Mark? Well, in terms of people, Alan, I suppose the people of County Meath and beyond, they're not going to take this sitting down by any means. And the anger you could hear there is palpable. In terms of the wider scheme of things, that review that we heard of there is ongoing. And Stephen Donnelly's office confirming to SIP2 just on Friday evening that the review is still underway and the HSE has advised them that it will be completed shortly. Marco Driscoll, LMFM reporter covering that uh, protest force in Kells on Friday at lunchtime. Thank you so much for that report. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, welcome back to the programme. Just uh, on foot of that particular report by Mark O'Driscoll on the hospital, 
uh, emergency department at Navan. We're not going to leave it there because we have one very interesting story that uh, Councillor Tommy Riley, I'm sure you're probably uh, familiar with him, Fianna Fáil Councillor, has a very interesting story, a personal story to tell us and the implications of what happened as a result of, um, well, I'm not, I'll give you all the details after 10 o'clock. I'm not going to get it into now. But you may remember uh, last week, towards I think it was the middle of last week, we had a number of businesses on from the region. We brought them on specifically to talk about the difficulties they were facing trying to do business in a very tightening environment when it comes to energy and the cost of energy. And the figures that they were mentioning to us were almost eye-watering when it came to the levels of energy usage versus what they're paying for them. They were astronomical. In some cases, it was almost three and four times what they had expected to pay when compared to the previous year. On foot of that, we decided we need to talk to what we call families, the ordinary person who's not in business, the mother, the father, the children going to school, the difficulties they face, whether they're on social welfare, whether they're fully employed, whether they're part-time employed. We want to know how difficult the situation is for those families, for those individuals, and how they're beginning to cope with it. Because remember, this situation is just going to get worse and it will be exacerbated by virtue of us heading into a winter when it starts to get that little bit colder. Most of us are holding off on putting on the heat in our homes at the moment. And in reality, we don't really need it just yet because it's still pretty mild. However, we were hearing stories last week, one particularly stuck in my mind about an old age pensioner who was so frightened of what the future held for her that she took the light bulbs out of her home, out of her home, in case she switched on the light and was using up electricity. So in cases like that, it was, will I light or heat the home, or will I put food on the table? Now, in Ireland in 2022, that is an appalling conversation that we have to have, or any family has to have. We want to hear those stories, and I wager that every single family, no matter what your background is, will be feeling the pinch. (laughs) I got the shock of my life when my wife turned around to me and said, we just got the ESB bill in, I think it was for August. And she told me it was equivalent to a bill that we would have got in November. We didn't have the heat on. So have a think about what it's going to mean when the heat will have to go on. And what it will mean post-Christmas when Santi has to come and those bills start dropping into the hallway from the letterbox on January 1st. Then that's when a real pinch will come for a lot of people. I want to know how difficult... It is for you, the fear, the anxiety that as families and as individuals that you are facing and what it's going to mean long term, because this is not going to go away, go away anytime quickly. We're heading into the first quarter of 2023 with the same situation hanging over our heads, that things will get worse again. And there's only so much money that we keep can keep putting into this. And what's being lost on this as well is... I don't know if you, you read over the weekend, but Philip, Philip Lane, the chief economist of the uh, ECB, the European Central Bank, has come out and said it ain't over yet when it comes to mortgage interest rates going up, both the end of this year and into next year. We're already at three quarters of one percent. 
that's only going one way and that's going up. And that is a conversation that seems to be getting lost when it comes to the energy crisis. Okay, for a lot of the financial institutions, they haven't passed on that yet to the consumer. It will happen, though. And it will happen in the short to medium term. But those who are on tracker ECB mortgages, they have instantly seen an increase, and in some cases, a dramatic increase in what they're paying in their mortgage. That coupled with what they're paying for bills, for food, inflation is through the roof. If we can't get inflation under control, we're on a hiding to nothing. The reason the interest rates are going up is to try and do something about inflation. So we're going to have to wait a number of months before we see this following through to households. So on Friday, we will have both Darren English and we will also have um, Thomas Byrne in studio to listen to your stories that you can ask them directly what they as ministers who represent you in this region are going to do in, or- in order to try and get, uh, get, get things sorted out for you. So Damien English is going to be in here as well. He's going to be here in the first part of the programme, Thomas Byrne in the second part of the programme. We want to hear what you want to say to them. You can call us, but it's probably best that you email us at michael, it's michael at lmfm.ie, michael at lmfm.ie. Tell us what you're experiencing. We will put you on air. You can talk directly to either of those government individuals who you, in some cases, voted for to put into government to represent you. Now's your chance to ask them what they are doing for you. Okay, that's Friday. We want to hear from you. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Welcome back to the programme. It's Monday morning with Alan Cantwell through till 10 in for Michael Reed for the next week or thereabouts. Now, let's return to the protest which happened in Navan for the hospital at lunchtime in Kells. Tommy Riley joins us as Fianna Fáil councillor on Meath Council for the past 26 years or thereabouts. Hi. You'll have to hang up your boots. Um, now, you've, you've a personal story about this to the extent that you had reason. You tell the story. Thanks, Alan. Yes, um, a close family member uh, had an accident this day week at around 4, 4.30 on a Monday evening and was taken by ambulance to a Lady of Lourdes Hospital in Drogheda. Brought in one door, out around another and into A&E. And at 3 o'clock on Tuesday morning, she was still in A&E without seeing anybody. She was told at that stage that it could be after 9 o'clock in the morning or 10 o'clock when she would see a doctor. She suffered a head injury with pains in her head and dizziness. So at that stage, her mother wisely took her home. She rang her GP or a GP practice uh, the next morning. They told her it would be Friday and she could see a doctor. This is despite the fact she had a head injury? Yes, yes, yes. And had dizziness and wasn't feeling great at all. And on Thursday, she went to Navan A&E and they could not have been better. They did everything possible for her and put her at ease that there was nothing damaged in her head. They did x-rays, they did scans, they did everything. Took bloods the lot. And, you know, Jerry McIntyre would be a personal friend of mine. Who, his passion for health and for good health and for good service is second to none and he has delivered that through the years for people all over Ireland. Superman, super surgeon, and he has been fed untruths by the HSE, saying that there is uh, availability in Drogheda, 
there is no availability and that has proven it last Monday night, Tuesday morning. Well I think the general consensus is that Trahada is is challenged in relation to being able to pick up the yeah. residues, probably the bad word to use, yeah, from yes. Navan or, or elsewhere, mm-hmm. that it's challenging for them. Yeah, but uh, I mean, this was a Monday night, it wasn't on a weekend where there was revelers and all this kind of thing in, in the casual department, this was on a Monday night and this girl didn't get to see uh, a doctor for 12 hours. It took her 20, it'd be 20 hours before she could see a doctor, which I think is scandalous. It is, and you know, that's common to a lot of hospitals. You go down to, I've heard those stories about Vincent's Hospital oh, in yeah. Dublin, I've heard them about most hospitals. I'm aware of that, Alan, but this this girl was taken in it by ambulance to Drogheda, and there was no need she should have been gone to Navan A&E. Why wasn't, she, why wasn't she sent to Navan? That's what the ambulance crew were directed to take her to. To draw that. like it's it's I, I feel I feel for the like Mr. McEntee and those good surgeons to stay around them and fed this these untruths by the HSE because the capacity in Drada is not there. I've known this for years about Drada. I've been in it with the late Joan Dighton as a journalist, God rest her. And uh, you know we've seen it all those years ago where it was still hours and hours and hours. But it has got worse. Okay, can I just ask you about Navin? Maybe you got. Davin had a good time that it was an anomaly that you were able to get there that they were able to see it but under normal circumstances they may not have No uh, unfortunately for, for us my daughter uh, I had her in Navin uh, mother of two children uh, maybe five weeks ago we were in the Saturday afternoon and they couldn't do enough for her we are back on the Monday and it was the same thing they were absolutely excellent So why the hell are we closing it or they want it closed I cannot understand it 15 years ago I was involved in getting the graciousness of Tara Mines to give us a site for a regional hospital. I had David Hickey, Professor John Cohen and others down looking at these sites. And I didn't mind if the regional hospital was in RD, Slane, Cullen, Kells or Navin, as long as it was built. But every Oireachtas member from Loudmead, Cavan and Monaghan went into a meeting with Mary Harney and agreed that Navin, was, as was selected, by an independent group, the, the central place for it. The next morning, a senior minister from another county said there wasn't a red cent. But I'm not buying that because the, all the Oireachtas members from these other counties, Cavan. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Sick of being upsold at gyms? 
My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a Swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Monan and Mead, they sat on their hands and didn't pursue the thing. That hospital should be built. The site is there. There were people prepared to build it and lease it back, but there was no follow-up on it. What's your view on Oireachtas members, senior Oireachtas members not attending that protest on Friday? Thomas Byrne, di- Damien English. I'd be disappointed. I'd be dis- I'd have to say I'd be disappointed. Uh, I mean, to show support... It's an absolute snub, is it not? It is. It, for the great people that's involved in that Navin camp- Safe Navin Hospital campaign, there are absolutely fantastic people to keep this going. You know, it's not easy. It's not easy. There's a lot of people there doing it voluntary. Uh, Rochester's member, uh, Patrick Robin, that chairs the, chairs the committee. But the work they are doing to keep it going, I, I don't know. I can't understand how the regional hospital is not built. I cannot understand it. That is the way forward. That is the way forward. There's billions wasted on the children's hospital. There's billions wasted on, on the ground. But sure, it's a Fianna Fáil Minister for Health who's leading the charge on this. One of your own colleagues in government, a party, party exactly. colleague. I don't... I'm not going to blame Stephen Donnelly. There has been many well, ministers... Well, he has to carry the can on this because he's been, the Minister for Health. There has been many ministers of health from all governments for the last 20 years and they have just ignored it. When they get inside those gates in Leinster House, they're in a bubble and they forget about us, each and every one of them from all parties. Do you think the Minister is dragging his feet on this so-called review that he announced a number of weeks ago? In fact, it's more than a number of weeks ago at this particular point. And he said it would happen, I suppose, in a speedy manner. Not his words, but I'm, I'm paraphrasing what he was saying. And here we are. Is If this is a speedy manner, I'd hate to see what's slow. Well, I, I, I'd be disappointed in that aspect of it, but I, I think the review is only a sham, as far as I'm concerned. They have made a decision on the A&E and Avon. And Which is, it's gone? Gone. They've made that decision. That This is a, this is only delaying tactic. And Minister Donnelly should should come and tell them that and either put up or shut up or put the money into Navin to keep it going until we have a regional hospital. Drogheda is a great hospital, great staff, great surgeons. 23 of them said, 23 consultants said they could not take more patients from Navin. 23 of them. Drogheda has its back to the sea, Alan. You have the rest of the north, north northern end, Cavan, Monaghan, Mead, parts of Westmead and Longford. We come to Drogheda, there's nothing behind it. No, no, no place for expansion. You need a greenfield site. What David Hickey and those boys were suggesting was build this hospital, have apartments there for trainee doctors, trainee students, have apartments there. If you came from Donegal, you were, you were uh, uh, technology would allow you to do an interview. Okay. Tommy, I just want to ask you this question. You've been around a long time. You can read between the lines, and I'm sure you you have access to individuals that others don't, and you're of the view that it's gone. I, I personally think that as well. So why are we continuing to protest? Well, because we want money put into it. We want money invested in it. Where can we go? You can't go to Vincent's. You can't go to Blanchester. You can't go to Zorada. There was a prime example last Monday evening. 20 hours wait before that girl got there. After being in a car accident. Councillor Tommy Riley, thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you, Alan. Thank you for giving me the time. 
Michael Reed on LMFM. Welcome back to the programme. As inflation continues to rise and the cost of living crisis hits home, lone parents are worried about how they'll survive this winter. Many households are under pressure, but close to 45% of lone parent families are already experiencing deprivation before the crisis, and many fear that they won't be able to heat their homes and feed their children without urgent support in Budget 2023. Joining us this morning from Spark, an organisation that represents single parents that act for the rights of kids, is Louise Bayliss uh, to tell us more about this. Louise, thanks so much for joining us this morning. I want to talk to you a little bit first about the overhang from the last recession. It's still there for many of these families, is it not? It very much is, Alan. Thanks very much for having me. The, as you just said, quoted there, almost five, 45% of families, lone-parent households, were already experiencing deprivation before the cost-of-living crisis hit. Um, so that's scary numbers. We're almost four times more likely to be living in poverty um, than the general population. So there's that overhang. And also, if you add into that, what's different this time, Alan, than, than the last recession back in 2008-2009, is this time we have a housing crisis, which is now not a crisis, it's an emergency. And again, lone-parent households are at the forefront experiencing that crisis where they're really now worried about being homeless, how you know, paying extortionate housing costs and then as you said we've got this cost of living. People are cut to the bone already, there's nothing left to give so far parents have been protecting children but that can only go on so far unless we get urgent support we genuinely are afraid that children will suffer. Now you do recognise given the sheer gravity of the situation that's facing many organisations, not just yourselves, that it's a case of Of take a ticket, get in the queue, wait your turn. You may not get hurt this time round. That, that, is a, that is a worry, Alan, and we are very much aware that there are other groups suffering, and that's why we joined the Cost of Living Coalition, because we want to stand together and we don't want this divide-and-conquer approach. However, we know statistically lone-parent households are the poorest. We know that in our society, children live more in poverty than any other age group, and that's an indictment on us all, and we know where those children are. They're in lone-parent households. So, yes, we want to stand together with everybody. Yes, we want, you know, everybody to protect it. But we want it based on evidential research. And the evidence shows where the poverty is. You know, at the moment, you know, back in July, we were part of the pre-budget forum with the Minister of Social Protection. And at that time, they made very... um, positive sounds, you know, it was going to be a budget to protect everyone. It was going to be targeted to make sure those poorest would suffer. Um, And then in the last couple of weeks, as the budget approaches, we're hearing, well, it mightn't be that much targeted. There might be this general response that everybody gets their two or three hundred euro. That's going to be a waste of resources. And what we need to say is, no, please stick with the evidence. Please make sure those who are at risk of sinking Please make sure we all we all survive this winter. Now I don't um, know so if if you listen to the Tornishly yesterday speaking ahead of the budget, and he did make reference to a number of aspects of it. More so, I suppose, in relation to your own situation and your member situation. They talked about more money in people's pockets. That's what he's talking about: a reduction in childcare and the cost of education. So, by all accounts, something is going to happen. Are you any closer to understanding what exactly will be delivered? Well, there does seem to be that there's going to be a reduction in costs, which is really welcome. But even if there was a 10% increase in, you know, in core social welfare rates, which would be very ambitious if that happened, even if that did happen, it's really only keeping in line with inflation. And as I said, we were already 
um, you know, 45% were already in experiencing deprivation. So it's not going to be enough to get us through a winter where, as the ESRI have already pointed out, it is, an, it is those at the lower deciles who experience inflation highest, you know, because it's for those staples like your heating and your food. And you can't cut back on those. And that's where the problem is. You know, one of the things that we've highlighted this year is that any other long-term social welfare recipient i.e. somebody on disability or carers or indeed older citizens, they're all pensioners. They're all entitled to a living alone allowance to acknowledge that one social welfare payment isn't enough to run a household. So they're entitled to the the household budgeting scheme and Mm -hmm. living alone allowance. Lone parent households aren't entitled to that. And is that seen that because there's a child there who doesn't have their own independent income? And I think that's the key driver of why lone parent households experience more deprivation than other households relying on social welfare. Can I ask you, there seems to be a bit of a a moving line on this, depending on who you ask, that the pinch point for some families is going to come perhaps early in the new year after Christmas when that huge electricity bill and gas bill lands. For some, it's next month. But for the people you represent, have we reached a pinch point for them? We've reached a pinch point for them and we can really see it with back-to-school costs have hit in. And one of the things you're saying there about bills, most lone parent households don't have bills. Most lone parent households are pay-as-you-go electricity to avoid the bills. And what we're already hearing in our group is that um, the money that they put into their meters are running out. So it's not... um, it's not a, they're being disconnected. It's kind of a voluntary, if you can use that volu- word voluntary in inverted commas, but there is a self-imposed disconnection maybe two days before they get paid. That's now, that's in September when there's no heating costs. We're terrified what that would be like in another month. Now, I know there will be the fuel allowance coming into place. You know, I think that date was announced very recently, but it still will it cover the house, you know, the increase in heating? Possibly not. So our pinch point has arrived. Now, historically, we've seen situations where people are being squeezed financially, particularly coming up to Christmas, particularly when children are going back to school that they need cash, they turn to money lenders. Are you seeing that happening? We haven't because... um the major one left the market last year, as you know. So people are actually finding it. While, you know, I didn't agree with those money lenders because people did end up getting themselves in the circle of debt and just coming out. But at the moment, there really doesn't seem to be that option for people. I would, if anybody's listening to that, you know, direct them to the credit union. There is a loan, you know, short-term loans for people on social welfare that they can access through the credit union. So, you know, and they can get the money deducted from the social welfare. So if people are at that pinch point, they are worried about Christmas, if they're paying back to school costs, there is that option for them. And that would be a much better way than going into unregulated money lenders. So what of the sort of individuals that we are talking about here? Because one thinks that, you know, and if we were to look at, at history and it's repeating itself, it always seems to be the marginalised who get squeezed in situations like that. But from what I gather talking to people, it's not the marginalised. This is across all facets of society that people are, be, are suffering. Is that what you're seeing? No, it absolutely is. We can see that all, you know, all 
all, all households, all incomes. And I suppose for the first time in our group, I can see a divide arising, which we are trying to overcome really hard. You know, we're really making strong efforts and I can understand people. So at the moment, I suppose, if you're a lone parent and you are working full time or you're working as many hours as you possibly can, you are seeing costs rising um, and there's been no compensation for that. So for instance, you know, there wasn't the double fuel allowance, there wasn't um, extra, you know, there was extra money given to people on social welfare. There's a very small margin in income for those working and on low wages and those who are relying on social welfare for whatever reason. That gap has narrowed very very quickly and people are feeling, why am I working when I'm living in poverty and I'm not getting that support? So one of our asks in our pre-budget this week, this week has been that the working family payment, which was a social welfare payment that bridges the gap for low earners who are working, that that would include something like the fuel allowance because the fuel allowance is a targeted payment and if somebody's um, entitled to working family payment because their income isn't sufficient for their household costs. A huge thing this year in the middle of an energy crisis would be allow them to access the fuel allowance. So that would be a key driver and that would bridge that gap, I think. Just let me ask you finally, organisations, support organisations, I'm talking about the Vincent de Paul, I'm talking about food banks or whatever, do you see them as being a double-edged sword in this whole argument? Because the government may say, well, we have the Vincent de Paul and you have the food banks, so we needn't worry too much about it. We will give them something, but perhaps not what they really want. Does that create a problem, do you think? Uh, well, I'm never going to knock the Vincent de Paul because I know... No, no, I, no, no, no would I, but I'm just saying that they may use that as uh, as an argument to say, well, there's a certain amount of support there, so we only have to give X amount on top of that. To be honest, Alan, and maybe I'm overly ambitious, but I don't think our government have gone that bad yet. I don't think we're at UK levels. I think to us, a food bank is something different than what it might be in the UK. I think we still have generational poverty, you know, of, of the poor houses all enshrined in our brain, and we're terrified of going back to that. I do hope um, Vincent de Paul gets support, but I do think um, we need to be looking at families. Not all families will access Vincent de Paul. Not all families will look for those supports. Many will have issues. Firstly, if you're um, new in the community, you know, a migrant family, you may not even know about those supports exist. Um, And secondly, you know, I I know myself and it's wrong and I know it's wrong. I would find it very hard to seek support in somewhere like Vincent Paul. And I know that's my own hang up, but I know a lot of people would have that. So I would like to see a right based and ensure that the government do it because this is the right thing to do. And every citizen deserves to have food on their table this winter and and a warm home. Louise, we must leave it there. That's Louise Bailey, spokesperson for Spark, joining us on the programme this morning. Okay, let's get to some of your comments which arose during the course of the many interviews we've had so far this morning. Cost of living is common from Mary. She doesn't believe that any of the politicians have a real grasp on how tough things are for people right now. They claim to understand and claim to be working to improve things for people. But Mary says she has yet to see any real evidence of this. It'll be interesting to see what they offer us in the budget and will they really put their money where their mouth is. Also on the cost of living, Tony says we're being promised the sun, moon and stars in the upcoming budget, but will we actually see any real benefit from the measures they're going to announce? Tony says he doubts it, but we're getting at the minute is lip service from the people who have no understanding of the financial burdens being faced by many. This winter we'll see many households and businesses go to the wall and a lack of action from government is deplorable. 
Navin Hospital, Joan from Navin. When is this review going to be published? I'm very worried where I will go if I get sick, if the emergency department closes. It's a question that I certainly asked and there's no sign of that being published just yet. On the cost of living and the energy crisis, Peter politicians arguing while people suffer. It really annoys me. They will not be cold this winter as politicians are well paid and have plenty of money to heat their homes, not like many old people. I fear there are some who are going to die this winter because of the cold. Just some of your comments uh, on the topics we were covering this morning. Michael Reed on LMFM. Welcome back to the programme. The Taoiseach Camille Martin has signalled that Fianna Fáil will give consideration to former leader Bertie Ahern, rejoining the party more than a decade after he proposed that the former Taoiseach be expelled. Mr Martin said on Thursday that Mr Ahern had been playing a valuable role in trying to solve the issues around Northern Ireland and its protocol and that nobody could take from him the contribution he made to the peace process. He also said it was more than a decade since Mr Ahern had resigned from the party and the context today is very different. Well, joining us this morning to discuss this is Aaron McGrehan, Fianna Fáil Senator who's based in Louth. Uh, Senator, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Can I put it to you, and I think that Malcolm Byrne uh, in, uh, in, as one of the dissenting voices said, this will do nothing but just raise the ghosts and controversies of the past which surrounded not just the Taoiseach but Fianna Fáil of old who got such a kicking in that election because of what was going on. And the last thing we want to do is to reignite that and let's be honest, hatred that was for Fianna Fáil back then. I suppose, um, good morning, Alan, but I suppose, I suppose um, Malcolm Bourne did also say that, you know, there's, um, there's uh, every saint has a past and every sinner has a future, but I think we have to rule it all back, Alan, and see the context that this was meant. And, you know, as you, as you very well said, Bertie Hearn has been absent from the party for more than a decade decade and I think it was right. I was one of those people as an as a ordinary Fianna Fáil member who supported his resignation but I think as a former leader and a member of Fianna Fáil his experience has value and I do think it, it warrants um, I suppose a conversation absolutely um, you know it is 25 years since the Good Friday Agreement and this is the context in which it was raised at the Parliamentary Party last week and the Good Friday Agreement I think we'll all agree um, has been one of the greatest achievements of Fianna Fáil and indeed our, le- our pre- former leader and Taoiseach, Bertie Hearn. Um, you know, he led our party, led his country to that historic agreement and that should never be forgotten. Um, I suppose, you know, it is, we have to bring ourselves back to those 25 years ago and see the recognise the importance of that milestone in, all, in okay. everyone's life. Well, going back to that my point, and, and we recognise that, and notwithstanding that, it begs my next question, what the hell does it take to be booted out of Fianna Fáil and to remain out in the cold forever? Because it seems that it doesn't matter what you do, you can be rehabilitated and we'll bring you back in at some point. I suppose what we're looking at here is... is open up a door to Bertie to, to use his valuable expertise. You know, we're, Bertie is seen as an expert in British-Irish relations, North-South relations, and in general, his negotiation skills have never been in doubt. I think, you know, he will be know for a fact that he has been a very welcome advisor to Simon Coven for years, has worked with all parties in the North and, and none. Um, I think, um, you know, that, that that is an important thing to look at. I'm not saying, you know, whether that's, it, it's ever going to happen, but I do think um, it's, it's something that, you know, 
in reality, Alan, won't make any difference to people's ordinary lives. And there are far more worthy things um, up for discussion yeah. you know, across people's dinner tables and breakfast tables um, at the minute. Yeah, and we'll, co- we'll come to those. I, I will come to those with you, Senator, in a moment. But I want to go back to the point where Micheál Martin led the charge to get rid of Bertie from, from Fianna Fáil. And he said back then he had perpetrated a betrayal of trust. Now, once you go down that road, you've passed the Rubicon, there's no going back, or there shouldn't be any going back, surely? I think, you know, there is no uh, condoning for, you know, any financial irregularities. There was, um, you know, incredible things in the most incre- in the worst offences that went on um, during the financial crisis back then. And um, I think that will never be forgotten. It won't be forgotten by any of the members of Fianna Fáil. It won't be forgotten about, you know, by, by, the, by non-members of Fianna Fáil. Again, I think we must look at this in context. This is about Bertie being an expert in British-Irish relations, um, you know, North-South relations. And in this new era of Brexit, the aggressive politics that the UK Tory government um, continuously engage in, I think it's, you know, Bertie Heron has a valuable, is a valuable asset in these contexts. Um, and also, there is, you know, a lot of, a lot of, you know, we, we, we will, no one in the party will ever deny that, you know, it was a right thing to do to, uh, for Bertie Heron to stand there. Okay. In but but Senator, you'd, you'd welcome him with open arms, would you? I would re- welcome. I would welcome his advice, with, with, with caveats, Alan. But there'd be no fatted calf not, on the table for him. Not, this is not. This is not. Um, this is not. You know, um, a, a conversation about. You know, all is forgiven. He did damage to the okay. party. He did damage to the representation. But this is within the context, and I think again we must recognise the significant milestone of the Good Friday Agreement. Okay, Senator, I want to move on, and I, I know you want to discuss some of the issues which you have been pretty active on over the past number of weeks. And one particular group that seems to be getting lost in this conversation is the farming community, the IFA. What sort of stories are you hearing there, and, and what do you know that the government are potentially going to deliver for farmers? I suppose for, far, for the farming community, I'm a, I'm a huge I'm a huge. Um, I'm so a supporter of the farming community. I am from a rural, a rural, um, a rural community myself, and also I think the farming community have been under pressure. And I think Alan, you'll agree, you know, have been under pressure for many um, a month now regard to you know, the carbon budgets. I think often unnecessarily um, used as the bogeyman or described as almost a bogeyman of all this climate change debate. I am incredibly ambitious for um, Irish farming. We have a lot to do. Um, you know, and not, we heard on the radio this morning about how, far, how farmers, you know, I suppose can give back to the grid, solar panels, wind energy. We have... There is so much potential within our farming community. And to be honest, Alan, I do think that the government need to recognise the fact that most, all of our farmers um, are on the way to being carbon net zero emitters because, you know, when you think about what is sequestered on their land um, from grass to soil to trees, um, and this has to be recognised. Currently, there is no plan to recognise this. Um, and it's, it, it, that can't continue. And um, there must be support for for farmers to get through this Brexit. Hope there is. We're we're still not we're still not over the to the, the disturbance of the market within 
from Brexit. Yeah. But, um, but, but, but can I ask you this, Senator? I mean, if we take into consideration what has happened, and I remember having this conversation with the IFA some months ago, it was a long time ago, after the uh, Russian invasion into Ukraine, and we had to look at ourselves a little bit closer in terms of what we produce as a nation to feed our people and what we import and what we export. Do you think we've reached a point now where we, as a as an in, as an industry, an agricultural industry, must look at what we are doing and perhaps change the very focus of what we need to do to meet the demands and to have a sustainable future for farming. Absolutely. I think we have to have everything on the table. And I think you'll agree, Alan, that you know, farming you know, has been around for, for millions of years at this stage but it, and it has adapted to each time. We're now entering into a new area where we must look at everything we produce within a sustainability lens, how we can mitigate against the, the carbon emissions that it costs to produce a field of corn, produce if, um, you know, a, a carcass of meat. Everything has to be looked at. And I think we need to empower our farming community um, to be able to do that, um, to do an, an audit on what farm each individual farm emits, what each individual farm um, sequests. I think they're, they're already doing that in Northern Ireland. I think it would be a very welcome thing to do in the South, where people can be, or farmers and farming families can be empowered to know what they're emitting, to know how they can mitigate and to reduce themselves. Okay, to but, but to do that, once once the audit is carried out, we then look at what is required in order to implement what the audit threw up. That will require money. It'll require time because when it comes to initiatives like this, that they evolve over a long period of time. They kind of have a very difficult birth. I think um, we have gone a long way down this road, but it's about evaluation of what we can do. The new cap and the new acre scheme, the agricultural agricultural scheme under the cap, the, the environmental awareness scheme, there is a lot of, you know, very important movements in that scheme, you know, like... I suppose protecting the environment or protecting your your your, your bog lands, the the re wetting of areas, planting of more trees, protecting you know, the for the nitrate directions. There's lots of work that has been done, and um, farmers have been doing this since since CAP arrived in you know um, many decades ago, working on these environmental schemes from the rep scheme back in about tw- um, I think about. 20 years ago, um, my, fam- my, fam- my family farm was involved in the REP scheme or, or continuing to be involved in environmental schemes since. Yeah, and, the, and the REP and scheme, as you, as you can remember, was very difficult for farmers. I won't say that they didn't want to buy into it, but it was, it was a lot of bureaucracy there, a lot of changes that had to be undertaken. It was a whole new world for them. And it took them time in order to embrace it and implement the, the recommendations of REPs. Yeah, and, and, and they did, and they have been doing so since. They're very, very open. I think um, if you set, stand back from the situation and look at what what farmers do, um, they farm this land. The environment is their their factory floor. You know, so it's a weak environment is a weak farm. So it's in it's in their in their very best interest, in their product's very best interest, whether that be tillage, whether that be um and meat or whatever, yeah. it is in their very best interest to have the best land and the best environment okay. for their farms. Uh, and, Senator, and, and farming do yeah. recognise that, but also, um, I, you know, this week, last week, Fianna Fáil led a motion in, in the Shannon about energy, about yeah. how we... And I, I want to talk to you about energy. that because yeah. I, I just want to get your views on a couple of things. Number one, cap uh, for for energy providers 
are you in favour against it? What, what what way do you think that should pan out for not just the farming community, but just for consumers across the board? I think we have to look at everything. Everything has to be on the table, Alan. I think what we're looking at the minute is, is you know, the, the, the Taoiseach has said that they were going to introduce a windfall tax on energy companies. Um, it is unclear as yet how much money that levy will raise. Um, it's difficult to have that precise amount. But I think we must look at our energy market. And, you know, we, we see, I think, personally, I think it's absolutely unacceptable that we are paying for renewable energy at, at nearly the same rate as energy, energy that's that's produced by gas or, or coal, and wind is free. It's a raw material. It does not cost any more to blow um, than it did before the crisis. Well, why haven't why haven't we recognised that that we are potentially sitting on a gold mine when it comes to uh, wind energy? But you know, there ain't that too many wind farms around this country, and where they want to put them up, they come in for a certain degree of hostility from landowners who just don't want them in my back garden. Thank you. Um, I think we're, we're, we're working on a huge um, wind farm expansion. Uh, Ireland is the second greatest, second best country in Europe for for a, a electricity mix. We're being thirty one percent in Ireland and forty four in Denmark. So we are um, in the in the top of wind energy produced in Europe, but However, far below our potential. Absolutely, and um, if you if you knew me better, Alan, you'd know that I'm a huge advocate for clean energy for our wind farms out at sea. Oriel, we're going to see it's a changed um, environment, um, creating clean, green energy. Um, again, we put it through a bill last Christmas that will quicken up this process, and we will see those wind farms being created along the east coast and then along the west coast. It is coming again. Um, you know, you, um, you'd be very frustrated that's not happening fast enough. Okay, well, can I just... Yeah, can I just ask you this this question, and we're running out of time on it. You know, we tend to look at what is happening, the negatives around the energy crisis, what's happening in the Ukraine, interest rates, inflation or whatever. But there's always some positive that we can take out of this or some opportunity that we can grasp. The opportunity should be to look at what we can do not to have an over-reliance on third parties when it comes to providing our fuel. Now, are we going to grasp that opportunity and look what we can do as a country to ensure that we are not held to ransom in the future if it comes to a situation where we're relying on someone else for energy? Are we going to do it? Do we have that blue sky vision or thinking? Well, we absolutely do, and and you 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 repeat exactly what I have been saying to my parliamentary party for for for, for months and years now at this stage because I am hugely ambitious for for Irish. Irish wind energy, Irish sustainable green energy. We can be a superpower, an energy superpower on the on the west and the west of Europe, feeding the, um, feeding Europe with energy, with clean energy, um, and we can become a, a, a global superpower in the creation of this energy. Again, it's taken time. There was nothing done in the, in the previous gov- previous governments last ten years. Everything was in stagnant, um, and this government, we have a new bill, we have um, plans in place. Um, things are happening. Again, there was a decade of undersupply, of underambition um, by the previous government in, to do this. Now things are changing. And again, I said to Eamon Ryan on, on, on last week in the Shannon, let's not cr- waste this crisis. Let's use this crisis to quicken up planning permissions, to get these wind turbines in place and reduce the costs 
for the consumer well, well, and what create I, that benefit for people. What I'd, say to, what I'd say to you, I mean, I don't want to dampen your enthusiasm or optimism, but I mean, look at the, the last recession, which so many opportunities to do things differently. We never took those opportunities and nothing really did change. So we don't well, have I a great record. For me, Fianna Fáil weren't in government for the past oh, I, I know that. I'm just saying cross-party. I mean, it's, it's politicians of all hues I'm talking about here. Well, for me personally, I can only speak for myself. What I'm doing is I am very, very, very conscious of what we can create in this country. I have been for very, very, very many years. We need to prioritise the development of renewable energy infrastructure. We need to expedite those planning decisions. And we must not waste this, this emergency to do something positive for our people for climate and economy. And again, I must stress and go back to our budget that we're having next week. It needs to be a cost of living budget. And I I have been told that it absolutely will be and it will contribute to help every single household and business in the country. And to look at those vulnerable houses, the carers, persons with disabilities, pensioners, and those many thousands of families who are described as the working poor, I suppose, at this stage, because they're working day in, day out, and their wages are just not covering what they're what they have what they have to pay. Very good, you know, Senator. We're we're out of time. I must leave you. Apologies for cutting you off so abruptly there. That's Senator Fianna Fáil, Senator Aaron McGrath joining us this morning. Michael Reed on LMFM. Just before we press on, I want to bring you a couple of comments. First of all, electricity prices. Pat McDade from Drogheda said, Alan, our home, the same as many homes in Drogheda, was fitted with a smart meter in the past 18 months. Being Electric Ireland customers, we save 5.5% by opting for online billing and direct debit payment. We also signed up for free electricity on Saturday. First, I've heard of that, for which the smart meter is required. These two measures, uh, costing nothing, will save us about €200 a year. The standing charge, although, is not increased in the most recent Electricity Ireland announcement. It's the charge we resent the most. No matter how thrifty we are, no matter how many lights we turn off, there's nothing we can do to reduce the amount we have to pay in respect of the the standing charge. Fair point on that. I like the idea of free electricity on Saturday. I must have a look at that one. Now, let's move on. The state's failure to pay the COVID bonus to eligible staff who work outside the HSC eight months after it was announced was yesterday deemed to be unbelievable and unacceptable. The €1,000 COVID recognition payment was announced on January 19th and since then, all eligible HSC staff and Section 38 staff agencies that are funded by the HSC have received the payment. Not so for nursing homes. Tyke Daly, CEO of Nursing Homes Ireland, joins us this morning. Tyke, why are you be tr- being treated differently? Well, that's the $6 million question, Alan, and good morning to you. I mean, this is, as you say, outrageous now at this point in time. We're, we're eight months on. It was announced on 19th of January. It was the right decision, obviously, and it was in recognition of the heroic work that people did on the front line in nursing homes. Um, and now we find ourselves eight months on and still no clarity in, as to when it will be paid. Um, so, yeah, I mean, th- th- that's it really in a nutshell. I mean, there is a discriminatory practice here because uh, people, as you say, in the HSE have already uh, been paid, but those in nursing homes and indeed home care workers, I believe the defence forces and other personnel that assisted, for example, with vaccination clinics haven't been paid. So, it, it, I mean, it's, it's a lot of anger now and frustration. I mean, it, it was frustration. Now there's a lot of anger in the sector. Okay, well, what, what, whatever about me, Tyke, you'd have a better insight as to what is going on there, as to why it hasn't happened. Now, in the course of your lobbying or engagement with the relevant stakeholders, what are they saying to you? 
Well, I suppose the department's view was that it, it, it's complex and, and clearly, you know, there has to be an oversight uh, of, of such a scheme. And we, we fully uh, agree with that, obviously. Um, but I suppose the point we'd make in, in return, Alan, is that ultimately all of the staff who worked in the sector uh, are registered with the revenue commissioners. They pay PAYE, universal social charge, for example. So, you know, there are extensive records of all the staff who worked during COVID. So it shouldn't be beyond us to, do, to uh, develop, uh, I suppose, a process and a procedure around it which you know satisfies the requirement for oversight but is also more timely what we're hearing now and we understand is that a, a tender has been issued for an external company uh, to manage the rollout of this so this is a further delay and a potential further cost to the exchequer so now and, and what i would say to you as well and it's probably what's being lost from a lot of people here the difference between inflation back then and inflation now or poles apart, so that €1,000 is not buying you the same as it would have way back then than it would buy you now. Absolutely, and, and, and that's adding to the uh, the anger and the frustration that I spoke of a few moments ago because people are saying, you know, uh, as you say, it's not worth as much now. I mean, when it was announced in January, there was a lot of, um, you know, recognition of, of those who worked uh, outside of the, the HSE on the front line. And at that stage, you know, we were saying, you know, hopefully in quarter one, I mean, then it drifted into summer and people were saying, well, hopefully we'll have it now for maybe um, summer holidays. Um, then, you know, it became potentially a back-to-school that people would use it for. I mean, now we're looking at Christmas, uh, which really is, it'll be almost, it'll be, if, if, if it's not paid until December, it'll be 11 months after it being announced. Um, and as you say, you know, it is, in, in our view, uh, discriminatory, and it, it is disrespectful to those employees uh, uh, who worked in the in the private involvement. Okay, well, well, can I ask you, is it the view of the um, the HSE because the nursing homes are operating outside mm-hmm. of, of that particular sector that there's a question mark in relation to what is it, the way the money will just be distributed? There's concern that it may not go to the right person. What exactly is it? Yeah, well, I mean, clearly there has to be, as I said a few moments ago, you know, oversight and a, a clear process around it. I mean, within the HSE themselves, as you know, you'll have seen last week where some people uh, were paid it and had to had to repay it um, because there were some er- errors made. But clearly, you know, our view is that we need to put in place a fairly simple procedure. And, you know, if people get paid in error for whatever reason, then they would, you know, sign a disclaimer, as I said, through the Revenue yeah. Commissioner. So it can be yeah. it can be done, in our view, much, much more... OK, um, well, let me, let me ask you that, Tig. I mean, civil servants and politicians love a solution to a problem. Have you given them the solution in relation to oversight and how it will work successfully? Well, I mean, uh, clearly, throughout COVID, there was a, a temporary assistance payment scheme, for example, uh, to deal with the, you know, the additional staffing uh, and the infection prevention control measures and nursing homes uh, that was discontinued last uh, last last June and uh, now the outbreak assistance is still ongoing so in our view that is the vehicle that should be employed uh, to to discharge this payment uh, whereby you know the nursing home uh, makes a full list of all of the employees that's cross-referenced with the revenue commissioners for example to ensure that they were working the weeks that they said they were working uh, and then uh, sign a disclaimer to say that if they are paid, you know, for example, in error, or maybe paid double through, you know, maybe some error within the system, that they would then pay it back. So, so there are ways okay. around it, absolutely. Right, just um, tie my time's against me here, but I want to ask you, we're less than 100 days to Christmas. Are you optimistic that that will be landing in the pay packets of those, of your members before Christmas? Well, absolutely. 
I mean, if it isn't done before Christmas, you know, I mean, I'm not sure what, what the response from the sector will be. Uh, but clearly, it has to be at this stage, and that's ultimately our call: is that government, HSE department, should say, okay, folks, we're going to deliver it by X date. Um, ensure that the systems are robust to deliver on that date, and communicate with people now as to what date will be. But if it goes beyond Christmas, it, I mean, unacceptable doesn't even capture the 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 uh, adjective that I would use. Okay, Ty. Ty Daly, CEO of Nursing Homes Ireland. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, which brings an end to our programme this Monday. Don't forget, we, we had a brief conversation about what we want to do at the back end of the week, as in Friday. We want to hear your stories. We want to hear family stories. We want to hear if you're an old age, old age pensioner or a young person, how difficult it is for you at the moment to try and keep heads above water during this very difficult cost of living crisis, because we will have those individuals in studio, we'll have them on the phone and we'll have two junior government ministers to answer your questions. We're finished for this morning back with you same time tomorrow till then good morning The Michael Reed Show podcast, tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM to contact us, email now michael at lmfm.ie LMFM Podcasts. With CNC Carpets, we bring the showroom to you. Or book a new showroom appointment on 087 660 4237. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.